What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans, and it's a historic day here on Wall Street as the Federal Reserve announces an intermeeting half-point rate cut and holds an emergency press conference to explain the move this morning. Chairman Jerome Powell saying the risks to the Fed's outlook have changed materially as coronavirus spreads in the U.S., but he added that the Fed still anticipates a return to solid growth. Powell also said he expects the action from other G7 members and is prepared to use all tools at the Fed's disposal. And he admitted that the Fed can't fix everything and said a rate cut, though, should help. We do recognize that a rate cut will not reduce the rate of infection. It won't fix a broken supply chain. We get that. We don't think we have all the answers. But we do believe that our action will provide a meaningful boost to the economy. More specifically, it will support accommodative financial conditions and avoid a tightening of financial conditions, which can weigh on activity. And it will help boost household and business confidence. Well, the rate cut didn't appear to be enough to boost market confidence. and It didn't do enough for the president, for that matter, who tweeted not long thereafter, quote, the Federal Reserve is cutting, but must further ease and most importantly, come into line with other countries' competitors. We are not playing on a level field, not fair to the USA. It is time, the president said, for the Federal Reserve to lead more easing and cutting. Now, there have only been seven other emergency rate cuts since 1998. That includes during the 2008 stock crash and Great Recession, the 2007 subprime crisis before that, 9-11, and the tech bubble in 2001. Let's dig into this now and what it all means. With me now are Art Hogan of National Securities, CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. They're both here with me on set. Barry Glassman is president of Glassman Wealth Services. Greg Ipp of The Wall Street Journal, whose piece uh, on this just hit. Rick Santelli is watching record lows, new record lows in the 10-year. And, of course, Bob Bassani is down at the NYSE. Bob, whereas I understand it, there must have been quite a hubbub when this uh, was announced this morning. You don't normally hear a lot of noise on the floor in the middle of the day. All of a sudden, the chatter just it was like there was a, a giant convention and people started yelling at each other. That doesn't happen here. We're just off of the lows for the day, Kelly, here. Really, uh, if you look at the Dow Industrials, you can see two kind of votes here. The first vote initial up 700 points. Market voted, oh, the people like Fed's ahead of the curve. Then slowly, very quickly, within 15 minutes, we started moving down here. The vote, second vote. Fed may have wasted their bullets, or they may have overreacted. Two different opinions here. You can see right now the second one is, uh, is leading here. A couple of groups really like the news. The home builders love the news. Lennar is up. Even the peripheral crowd groups like Home Depot, they generally rose on this kind of news. But most of the rest of the market was kind of flattish. Oil stocks, for example, Exxon Mobil, you'd think a little bit of demand increase would occur as a result, but really no reaction at all from the oil stocks. Still sitting near the lows for the day. Same with some of the big industrial names that are out there. Same with the banks, too. J.P. Morgan uh, up for maybe five minutes uh, and then back down again. None of the banks reacting either. Kelly, back to you. Yeah, up for five minutes pretty much uh, sums it up. Greg, uh, I, your piece just hit, and you say something that many, many people are saying right now, which is, are Fed rate cuts the way to go here? Why not have a big fiscal stimulus package? What do you make of the, this big announcement today, Greg? Well, it can hurt, not the margin. It will help, but it's not going to be the solution for two reasons. <clears throat> Number one, this is primarily a supply-side shock. 
As Jay Powell said, the Fed can't fix the supply side shock. There's a ton of activity we're going to lose because people just don't want to leave their homes or, you know, travel. Fed can't fix that. This is, but beyond that, Kelly, there's the fact that we're in this um, brave new world where central banks, they just don't have much ammo. I mean, the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan, they're below zero. There's nothing really that they can effectively do. The Fed will soon be out of ammo. And frankly, with a long bond at 1%, honestly, with taking it to zero, help much. Right. These are the conditions that are tailor-made for fiscal policy. That's Fiscal policy becomes more powerful at moments like this. All right. We'll come back to this point. Uh, Steve, before we do, though, now that rates are basically the overnight rate is set at about 1%, you know, it is a range, but that, that means there's only four rate cuts left, right? I mean, before we get to zero. That's not a four lot. Four quarters or 250s. That's right. Or if 75 and a 25. And what are people, so this is really important to explain the market's reaction here. If the Fed wants to come out and with this shock and awe, like, hey, we're getting ahead of this and doing something extraordinary, Ordinary. The market was already pricing in about 75 basis points of rate cuts by by the meeting in March in two yeah. weeks. So they and haven't more gone all the way there. The, do they have to do more at that meeting? now? They might have to do more. I believe if you listen to Fed Chair Jay Powell carefully, there's an invitation to the fiscal side to step in and help them out. I think uh, Greg is right, although I, I would push back just a little bit on Greg. He is absolutely correct. It's a supply side problem now. But a supply side could lead leading to a potential demand side problem, which is people don't leave their houses to go to work um, or don't have income. They may not be able to affect the demand they normally would. So in that sense, it's another sort of justification for a rate cut that I think everybody would agree is not the most effective tool. But it's perhaps one tool that needs to be done here en route to bigger and better things. And so, Art, let me bring you in as well on this market reaction. The Dow's down about 500 points right now. Um, why, why do you, very simply put, why do you think that is? I mean, is it what the president and everybody's been saying, that they, they just didn't cut enough if they were going to do something that, that would have really shocked the market, right? You have to at least do more than what's priced in, right? It's hard to disaggregate what the president's been saying about monetary policy for a while. He kind of treats Jay Powell like Veruca Salt treats her father and has been asking for rate cuts for a long period of time, agnostic of what's going on in the economy. So the fact that it's coupled with an epidemic right now probably is just coincidental. Well, I would tell you this, though, and I think Steve brought this up a couple times earlier today, this was pre-announced. We, had, we got this announcement on Friday. So half of Friday's turnaround, we cut our losses in half, was, was part of that. And a good chunk of Monday's reaction was a part of this being priced in. So the shock and awe was diminished by the fact that this was a pre-announced cut. So if part of the reason why the Fed cut rates is, and this is such a great outfit, to loosen financial conditions that had tightened well, now they're tightening up again. So what, again, if we're to follow this line of thought, are what... Put, you know, putting aside the question of whether this is really the right way to respond, if you're the Fed, what do you think they're likely to do given this market reaction now? Well, I think the Fed has done the right thing by saying we can't do this alone. We need fiscal policy. I think Greg is exactly correct. There's a whole host of things the Fed can, the, the federal government can do right now to make sure the small and medium businesses that might be impaired for a short period of time because of an economic slowdown caused by this epidemic get put in place. And that <laughs> needs to happen rapidly, on top of making sure we're funding our health care infrastructure and, and giving money to the CDC. All those things are more important than monetary policy. Right Greg, now. what about the people who say, well, but we're already running a deficit and, you know, will that, you know, what, what can they really do? And, and any time I've brought up this point, people say, well, Congress would never pass it. I have a hard time believing Congress wouldn't pass effectively, you know, thousand dollar checks to, to American families. Look, you hear this all the time. Like after 9-11, you heard that in the end, we did $40 billion in a matter of days. You know, after Katrina, we eventually did $100 billion. 
We're talking right now seven, eight billion dollars. That is peanuts. We have both the need and the ability to do way more than that. And also, we can target this really well. Elizabeth Warren yesterday had a really good idea. She pointed out there's millions of service sector workers out there who don't get paid sick leave. They're going to go to work even if they're sick and they're handling our food and they're cleaning our beds. They can't keep their kids home from school because they can't look after them. Give those people emergency sick leave that puts money, spending power in their hands, and it keeps them from going to school and, or, sorry, going to work and spreading <clears throat> the disease. So mm -hmm. fiscal power has both the ability to act where monetary policy is out of ammo and it has the ability to be targeted in a way that monetary policy cannot. In my view, that will have significantly more confidence building and real-world benefits than anything that can be done on the monetary side. Rick Santelli, let me bring you in on the back of that. And please remind us again of what we're talking about in terms of levels in the 10-year, Rick. It looked like we fell to a new record low below 1.03% after the rate cut. I don't think that's what the Fed wanted. Ironically, wouldn't they want the 10-year to go up in a sign of a better economy? I can't tell you what they want, uh, Kelly, because their actions don't make any sense to me. I'm not going to be an apologista for the Federal Reserve. I think what they did was an absolute waste. We have 1 to 125 left, very few bullets. I heard one of the guests say, well, it can't hurt. It most certainly can hurt. Negative rates. Every time we waste one of these, we're going to get to a point. Viewers, listeners, I'll tell you the facts. Once it gets so close to zero and we really have something economically based to worry about negative rates there's no way they're not going to go there no matter what they say and they always hedge their bets so can it hurt it absolutely can hurt and the other thing i have a real issue with kelly is all the ifs if this happens if that happens you know when is government first of all become the only answer to every question i'll tell you where in europe and points outside the U.S., which is why many of our ancestors came here. And at the end of the day, there's boatloads of agencies throughout the federal and local and municipal levels that were, according to our tax dollars spent, set up to deal with these things. So we're going to start passing out money before anybody makes requests. How many yeah. cases are here again? None of this makes any sense to me on any level. And as far as long-term rates, yes, how could they not go down? The whole world's a bit panicked. Other central banks are doing what the president wants, and not because it has worked, because they just can't think of anything else to do. Always eloquent uh, in moments like this, Rick. We appreciate it. Barry Glassman, let me turn to you. For those uh, who are watching and going, you know, kind of to Rick's point, well, what am I supposed to do for yield? You know, I had someone email me earlier today and say, I have a 90-year-old who depends on CDs for her income. What am I supposed to tell her now? Yeah, and that's the issue. When you ask most people what's going on in the market today, they talk about the stock market. Stock market soared this morning after the Fed made their announcement. And then you wrote your piece, well, it's not shock and it wasn't odd. So the market went down. And that's what they're talking about. But the problem is that's either temporary or it's a capital loss that's not yet realized. The bigger challenge here is safe yield for conservative investors and retirees. And I agree with Rick in that all of this, that we're, we're putting our hopes on saving the U.S. economy based on lower interest rates, at least so mm -hmm. far. Um, and that's on the backs of retirees and conservative investors. The stock market is down about 6% six, six or so. The S&P is down 65 or so year to date. The yield on two-month uh, treasuries is down by 44%. Right. So if you had CDs yeah. or money market and did the right thing, 
your your income is plummeting right now, and it's all on the backs of retirees and so what, conservative what investors. So, what do you, Barry? Since I know you have to make these you know decisions every day, then what do you do with do you? I mean, what other options are there uh, for safe yield? What do you tell people? Well, most people think uh, in a binary fashion. Well, if you don't own safe stuff, you own stocks. And there are some bargains there on stocks, or at least dividends that over the long term should stay there and go higher. Um, we're looking at uh, just an inch higher or a little bit higher on the risk side. We're looking at short-term bond funds. Fidelity, Schwab, uh, Vanguard have some great funds. But specifically, I think one of the best areas over the next, next let's say, two or three years is a category of short-term high-yield bonds. They're really short-term bonds, average maturity a little over a year or so. Okay. But lower quality corporate. Uh, Osterweiss is, is a fund that we use. It's a bit expensive. Yeah, but uh, iShares has actually a short term high yield uh, ETF that, that is pretty attractive. It's got some risk and it's, it's correlated yeah, yeah. to the economy, uh, but nowhere close to the volatility of stocks. Right, but also nowhere close to what you'd want you know, a 90 year old in necessarily. So hey, thank you, Barry, for sharing that because it's a really interesting window and people don't have options. I mean, that's a lot of exposure uh, to the business cycle, guys, when we're talking about whether or not it's coming to an end. Um, final word, let me just circle back here, uh, Art, and maybe give you the last. Uh, piece of advice here to investors as we continue to watch all of this. You know, maybe there's now going to be fiscal action, maybe not, to Rick's point. You know, maybe there's just not enough uh, of a groundswell of, of support for that. So the S&P has adjusted. Bond yields have plunged. What What now? It, it, I think three things. It's important to remember that the market's trying to calibrate in a linear fashion what the worst case scenario is going to be. So what we're seeing right now is probably not the end point. We'll probably test the lows again. But the market's always going to be ahead of the news. The news will get worse while the market's already gotten better. So understand that the news is getting worse. The second thing is, to Barry's point, one of the things I get most concerned about about that 90-year-old and that 80-year-old is that they're going to move money into defensives. And defensives right now are as expensive as, as they've ever been. So just be careful in saying, oh, I'm just going to go into utilities right, right now because they're trading at 26 It's not defensive just because we call it that. Right. You have to look at the price. All right, guys, mm -hmm. thank you all very much for sticking around today. A lot of provocative thoughts. Barry Glassman, Art Hogan, Greg Ipp, Steve Leisman, Rick Santelli, and Bob Bassani today. Thank you all again. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to talk about the banks, which are one of the hardest hit parts of this market, as the Fed cut rates and Treasury yields plunge in response to that. Is the Fed hurting the banking system more than helping it at this point? We'll ask. Plus, we'll talk exclusively to the founder and CEO of Regeneron on its efforts to find a coronavirus treatment. Lots more on this fast-moving day. Stay with us here on The Exchange. This is... The Exchange on CNBC. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. Markets are throwing a fit over the Fed's half-point rate cut today. Take a look at the 10-year yield. It hit an all-time low today after that cut. And as a result, banks of all sizes are some of the worst performers today. On that note, let me bring in Michael Schumacher. He's Managing Director and Global Head of Rate Strategy at Wells Fargo. And Gerard Cassidy is Managing Director and Banking Analyst at RBC Capital Markets. Great to see you both. Gerard, let me just start with you because you've said that a 75 basis point rate cut is, is roughly a 12 percent 
Nimshock, let's say, to the banks. Um, are we talking about something like a 12 percent EPS hit from uh, what we've just seen today? I would say, Kelly, that uh, if the Fed continues to cut rates as it did today, then certainly earnings per share numbers for the banks will have to go down. In our report that we published on Friday, we talked about a 75 basis point cut over the course of 2020. But the way we did our shock analysis, we took it all in the first quarter. And you're right, earnings estimates, for us at least, were down around 11 to 12 percent on a 75 basis point uh, cut in, in the first quarter. Is that as bad as it gets, Gerard? In other words, is it just a one-time repricing where the shares have to fall uh, you know, some proportion of that, or does it continue to be a headwind for the banks? It's a really good question, Kelly, because it's the uncertainty that everybody has right now. Will this lead to further rate cuts, or could it actually lead to a further economic slowdown, possibly a recession sometime this year? We don't believe so, so we think the stocks are overreacting, but it's the uncertainty. We'd also point out, though, that after prior, you know, pandemics or prior viruses that were spread out over the last five to ten years, we would point out that the 10-year government bond yield backs up pretty quickly once it's over. Hmm. So we would expect the 10-year government bond yield to recover once this issue is behind us. On that note, let me bring in Mr. Schumacher. What is your expectation for the 10-year and what do you make of its response to the rate cut today? Yeah, it's interesting, Kelly. I, I agree with one of your prior guests. It was effectively telegraphed by the Fed. So really starting on Friday afternoon, the market had a decent sense this was coming. We were a little bit surprised the Fed waited a couple hours after the G7 meeting, but that's sort of a minor point. As far as our expectations, our economics team calls for another 50 basis points in cuts another. by the end of the wow. second quarter. Yeah, so by June 30th, very big move. Very big dose of call it fetomycin, if you will, to try and deal with this crisis and the virus. But we think that's forthcoming. So you're, you're saying we're at about 1% on the rate. We cut that in half to just half a percent, which I think you heard Rick Santelli's uh, thoughts about that a few moments ago. Um, if that does happen, then, uh, or let me, let me put it differently, didn't the Fed want by cutting rates to see the 10-year yield go up today? And what does it tell you that, that the opposite has happened? Yeah, a few things there. Number one is that the Fed would like, I suspect, to have a few of its colleague central banks come along. So whether it's the ECB, the Bank of Japan, Bank of Canada meets tomorrow, it's likely to cut. We suspect there will be more easy measures from these central banks over the next few weeks. So that's the first thing. And also with respect to additional rate cuts, you've got to consider what the market had priced in. The market for the end of this year was implying Fed funds would be about 55, 60 basis points, wow. so around half a percent before the morning move by the Fed. So if the Fed were to deliver another 50, it would be more or less in line with the market, not mm -hmm. really radically different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Gerard, let's circle back to the, to the banks uh, finally here. And one thing that people initially thought when they saw this this morning was, great, now I'm definitely going to refinance. Again, maybe overlooking that the 10-year yield could have risen, not fallen, but let's not get into that. Point being, for the banks that you cover, will they get a tailwind, will they get help uh, from refinancing boom or other housing-related activity because of this? Oh, absolutely. Not only that, but the engagement with investors leads, to us, leads us to believe the trading revenues for the likes of Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Citibank America will all be higher. But I think you're right. Re refinancing activity is going to accelerate with rates being this low, and that will certainly help names like Truist or a Fifth Third 
or a, key, or a, a Citizens Financial. Of course, Bank America, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo are our biggest residential mortgage lenders, so they're certainly going to see a tailwind. But I'd also point out from an earlier comment you made about dividend yields. Remember, our banks get shocked. They go through the CCAR stress test, and that test is a severe downturn like 08, 09, and they all pass with flying colors, and they all sustain their dividends. Hmm. So we have dividend yields today of over 4%, and that's attractive for many income investors. Names like KeyCorp, Truist again, Fifth Third, all have great dividend yields that people can look at. All right. So all of those are uh, some places people can look in this market. We appreciate you both being here. Thanks, guys. Michael Schumacher and Gerard. Thank Cassidy. you. Thank you. Coming up, as coronavirus spreads, drug companies are racing to find cures. Regeneron is one of those companies. The CEO meeting with the president at the White House just 24 hours ago. He'll join us live for an exclusive interview ahead. Plus, one of my next guests says the post-rate cut sell-off shouldn't come as a shocker with the Dow down 619 points. Now we're at session lows. We'll talk about why markets are reacting this way and what's happening to investor psyche. That's next. Don't go anywhere as we head to break. Don't forget, you can always watch us or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The exchange is back in two. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC business news updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Exchange. We're sitting at session lows today, down 644 points is the bottom tick so far. We're just off of that. That's a 2.3% drop for the Dow. The S&P is down 2%, the Nasdaq a little more than that as well. Uh, just to mention, the Dow and the S&P above a couple of round numbers. We've been watching 26,000, 3,000 holding in both cases so far. It has been a wild session here after the surprise half-point rate cut this morning by the Federal Reserve. Uh, we were positive by 380 points at the highs, but as you can see, uh, we're down about 900 points since then. The worst performers on the Dow right now include American Express, Exxon, Microsoft, and J&J. And the cruise lines are continuing to take a hit. Royal Caribbean, Carnival, and Norwegian all down. Norwegian, the worst performer, with a drop of nearly 6% right now. And also hotels not spared. Shares of Hyatt are moving lower after the company withdrew its previously announced 2020 outlook due to the coronavirus. Hyatt saying its ability to assess the financial impact is limited right now. It's a drop of just under 5%. And the home builders are the green spot. They are jumping as rates continue to move lower. LGI, Lennar, and Pulte are all higher today. The home construction ETF is now up more than 6% this week. Let's get over to Sue Herrera now for a CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer blasting President Trump for downplaying the potential danger of the coronavirus outbreak. Schumer demanding Trump, quote, level with the American public. We need the president and his team to level with the American people and tell the truth more during a health crisis than ever before. Our public health professionals must tell the president the facts, and the president and his team must tell the American public the facts, just the facts. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says keeping the country safe is the government's overriding priority. It released Britain's coronavirus action plan, including worst-case scenario estimates. British firms are being warned that up to 20% of their workforce could be forced to take time off. 
And Pope Francis testing negative for the coronavirus following concerns he had become infected. And that might be the reason that he canceled most of his meetings last week. But the Vatican saying just moments ago he is simply suffering from a regular cold. That's the news update this hour. Kelly, I'll send it back to you. Okay, Sue, thanks very much. Our Sue Herrera, again, even as we've been speaking, markets continue to take on a more negative fashion this afternoon. The Dow down 695 points. Uh, that's a fresh session low. And the Treasury yield on the 10-year, 1.02%. There we are down now about 7.11. We're going to take a quick break, but coming up, the president has been criticized for saying a coronavirus vaccine could be coming soon. Where do things really stand? We'll ask an expert whose company has been leading the effort to find treatment. Regeneron CEO Dr. Leonard Schleifer joins us next. Welcome back. We have moved lower in just the last little while here. The Dow hit a decline of 720 points just during that break moments ago. We're down about 630 right now, so we are bouncing around quite a lot. A more than 2% drop for the major indexes. That does put us back down 10% from the recent highs. Uh, whether this is the tail or the, the dog or who's wagging its tail here is what I'm trying to say. Take a look at the 10-year yield, which is falling in conjunction as well. Uh, we went to 1.017% just moments ago. We're back up at, uh, well... Uh, even as I say it there, hit 102. Now we're slightly back below that level. We'll continue watching it very, very closely. Uh, as the Fed responds to the coronavirus outbreak today with a rate cut, the medical world is working overtime in an attempt to find a treatment. Regeneron is one of the companies leading that work, and Meg Terrell is here with a special guest and more on that first, Meg. Well, hey, Kelly. The company was one of 10 at the White House yesterday to discuss a race for a vaccine or treatment for the novel coronavirus. Timelines for a vaccine, even as they're moving at record speed, are still estimated to be at least a year. Treatments may be faster, and Regeneron is working on an approach that could be both protective, like a vaccine, and used to treat the disease. It involves antibodies the company creates by using mice they've genetically engineered to have human immune systems. They then expose the mice to part of the virus and choose the best antibodies they create in response. They successfully used the same approach to develop a drug for Ebola. Regeneron laid out a timeline yesterday for the work, which it began earlier this year, citing a goal of having hundreds of thousands of doses for human testing beginning in the late summer. Joining us now to discuss his company's efforts is Dr. Leonard Schleifer, Regeneron founder and CEO. Dr. Schleifer, you greeted me here today with an elbow bump. Uh, when you were at the White House yesterday, how did the president greet you? Well, it's funny. Uh, actually, everybody was shaking his hands, but I told him we ought to do a, a bump, and we actually did a bump. Well, maybe he'll change his, his approach. Uh, tell us about the kind of tone um, from the administration, from the president. What level of urgency were you sort of sensing in the room yesterday? Well, there's no question that the entire administration that was there, the president, the vice president, the head of the CDC, the head of the FDA, uh, and a litany of others, uh, the head of the HHS, Secretary Azar, uh, they were all uh, intensely focused on how quickly we could move forward. Uh, and I think what emerged was a three-part strategy. Basically, we look at whatever is available now, any antiviral that exists, and we try and throw it at this problem and hope that it works. I'm not super optimistic that that's going to yield something, but I'm, I'm hoping that it does. You're not super optimistic? I'm not super optimistic. Why? Well, for example, that was tried with Ebola, and it, it really didn't do that much, the, the standard antivirals. Now, maybe the coronavirus is a, little, is a little different, but I certainly hope, I'm hopeful that it will work. What about your company in particular in fighting that? What do you think you guys could maybe accomplish here? Well, so we're actually, and I want to just correct something. You said this began in January. It, this actually began about 35 years ago when <laughs> George Ancopoulos, our 
So it's a short story with you. (laughs) Our chief scientist uh, and co-founder, 35 years ago as a graduate student, had this vision that you could make mice with a human immune system. And so once you made mice with a human immune system, you could immunize those mice with whatever you wanted in a rapid way. And then you could turn that into human antibodies that you could actually give to people to treat them. That's exactly what the, the team was able to do for Ebola. And we believe that's exactly what can happen here. So you think your approach is going to be more effective ultimately in finding a coronavirus treatment than the standard? Well, you know, I don't like to think of us we're competing against others. We're really competing against the virus. No, but you're competing against time. I mean, that's what yes. I'm thinking about is for the, we're, we have a lot at stake here. Do we cancel the Summer Olympics? Yes. You know, what about I'm hearing March Madness, the NBA, the MLB? I mean, you think about schools that are being shut down in this country. I guess the central question is, could you come up with a treatment that you felt worked well enough to forestall that kind of massive public reaction? Well, I hope so. I mean, our timeline, we've laid it out publicly. We've showed it to people, and we're committed to keep you updated literally on a real-time basis. But where we are is we've immunized. These mice have been made. We've been working on them for decades. The technology, the seamless end-to-end technology is in place. We can go from immunization all the way to a giant uh, uh, 10,000-liter scale manufacturer. That, that's all in place. We've started the immunization. We already have tubes with lots of antibodies in them. Over the course of the next weeks, we're going to screen them for the best couple that we think could block this virus. Then we're going to use our tricks to immediately get it into scale-up and be making 200,000 prophylactic doses by August time frame. Now, how quickly that can be deployed, um, and we'll do that every month, how quickly that can be deployed will depend on some of the early data that we have, some animal data, what uh, what we will see in patients, But I think we'll work closely with Dr. Fauci, uh, and I think we can get a lot done very quickly. So we're talking getting into human trials by August. And your uh, expectation is that um, even as you start human testing, you could quickly get some initial data and then potentially deploy even more broadly. Exactly. And so our, our concept is... Let's just not make, a lot of people would only be able to make a small amount that they can use for human testing, and then they'd have to solve the scale of problem. I think uh, our team's approach has allowed us to say, we can do this in parallel. Let's start pouring out 200,000 doses of this stuff, um, hopefully that will work prophylactically starting in August, in parallel while we're doing the uh, clinical testing. And as soon as we get a green light that it looks good, we'll be able to deploy uh, those large-scale approaches. Is there more that you need from the government right now? You already have an expanded partnership with HHS. Uh, there was some joking around from the president yesterday that the, com- the drug companies already have too much money. I mean, do you need more from the administration? Yeah. I, I, right now, I think we're getting everything we need. I don't think it's literally about money for us. I'm glad to see that there's a bipartisan approach to get a lot of money thrown at this, because if we don't have a lot of resources in all sorts of places, and there are s- smaller companies that need real dollars because they don't have the dollars to do this, but we, cash is not constraining for us. I should say that this is, a, this is an incredibly important moment for the country, for the world, but it's important that the pharmaceutical and the biotechnology industry deliver. You know, we go astray sometimes, and as an industry, we don't always do everything perfect, and you could just look at the polls, everybody hates us. This is a time where I hope we actually are successful 
for the health of people, and I hope that will transform for people understanding that we need this incredible, rich treasure of our biotechnology industry to be successful, to solve these types of problems. What kind of feedback are you getting from the investor community about your commitment to uh, infect, you know, this infectious disease? Often you find investors are not so enthralled with companies getting in to help in these kinds of situations because the payoff isn't there at the end. Yeah. We don't really manage the business that way. We try and do what's, uh, what's right. And our assumption, is, as my dad's motto always was, uh, if you, uh, you want to do well, do good, you know, basically. And so we are trying to do well by doing good. The investors will be cared for. Our investors, have, uh, if you've been with us uh, over the last decade, uh, we were the seventh best performing stock. We hope we can do that again. Our bottom line is focusing on getting people well, getting people's lives saved, uh, and the rest will take care of itself. Lastly, I just want to ask you to address one question that's come up with other companies, the affordability of these potential solutions. Right. You know, Sanofi was called out for not declaring that its Zika vaccine, if it developed one, would be affordable. A company ultimately dropped out of developing that uh, program. Secretary Azar was asked if he could commit that this would be affordable. What, what can you say to that? Yeah, look, I can tell you it doesn't do us any good we want to save lives to make something that's not affordable. And we've prided ourselves in making our drugs affordable, and we will make this drug affordable. We will, there's only one buyer, probably the government, or if we do this individually, we're committed to make, uh, making this affordable. And you we, think your peers are as well? Peer I, I, I do think so. I think everybody in that room is not doing this for the benefit of their investors first. That's secondary. They really want to be part of the solution of what could be a catastrophic problem. So you think, August, we could be seeing a treatment if, you, if this goes well? Well, we certainly will be have the material made that could be deployed, and we have to do the testing. And once that testing is in, and I know the, uh, Dr. Fauci was in that room, and he's committed to move rapidly. Uh, so is the HHS. And so as soon as we get data, we can do this. Remember, we got data through the NIH in the Congo, in a war zone, where this approach led to an overwhelming efficacy that saved lives, yeah, literally. Ebola, right. Yeah. Ebola. All right. So. Doctor, we appreciate it very, very much today uh, for joining us again for all the work that you're doing. Please keep us posted. Godspeed. We will. <laughs> Meg Terrell, thank you very, very much as well. Coming up, President Trump saying the Fed's emergency rate cut is too little, too late, but one economist says it actually could be a case of too much too soon. He will explain why next. As we head to break, take another look at the 10-year yield. It just touched a fresh record low, just over 1%. 1.005% is the low print we've seen so far. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Exchange. Markets reacting poorly to the Fed's surprise half-point rate cut earlier today. There's the 10-year yield, which is at 1.001% right now. So we're just, what is that, a thousandth, a thousandth uh, Peter, of a point away from going uh, below 1%, maybe two thousandths there. Uh, would a fiscal stimulus package be a better way to shore up confidence, maybe boost those longer-term yields? And is there any chance the president would try one? For more, let me bring in Rob Shapiro. He's founder and chairman of economic advisory firm Sonicon. He's the former Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs under Bill Clinton and has advised every Democratic nominee for president since 1992. <laughs> Peter Bookfar is here with me on set. He's chief investment officer at Bleakley Advisory Group. Uh, as we watch that uh, yields, Peter, very closely, let's just quickly start there. What are your thoughts? What if it goes below 1%? I mean, does that have real implications for the market or just psychological ones? No, it's, it's real. I mean, you have the benefits of the consumer that wants to refinance or the person that's looking to buy a home. But look what they're doing to the bank stocks. We've already given back yesterday's rally. 
we're damaging the profitability of the banking sector. And if one of the transmission mechanisms of monetary policy is, is the banks in order to encourage them to lend, well, squeezing their profit margins is not good for, for potential right. loan growth, especially to small and medium-sized businesses Gerard, that we, rely on the loans. Absolutely. We had Gerard Cassidy earlier, though, say, look, look there's going to be a, a refi bonanza that, that could be something of a tailwind. Hold that thought That'll for That'll be one. the one area that's profitable for them, but the loan absolutely. margins are going to get squeezed. Right, and that's more transmission to the real economy. Right. Let's bring uh, Rick Santelli back in here. He's out at the CME, obviously, Rick, watching to see if, if, if it happens today or in the next 10 minutes here. Well, uh, I was just getting ready to take a picture because I see there it is. 9999. There we go. Snap the picture for history. I think I'll send the copy to Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, and maybe Jay Powell. Rickster. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Now, yes. it, that, that's, that's all. I mean, it just it, to sit here and look at it below 1%. Peter, one more thought, and then I want to go to Rob. I mean, we're, we're following the policies of the Bank of Japan and the European Central Bank, and how did it work out for them? Rob, let me bring you in on that point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as you sit with all the experience you've had advising different presidents and so forth, uh, what would you say about the president's call for the Fed to do more here? Is that the right channel? Should he himself be coming out with fiscal stimulus or, or do you let the market? What, what do you think? Well, I'd, I'd just love to hear your thoughts. Well, the fact is that interest rate cuts just don't cut it in this kind of situation. Interest rate cuts encourage people to invest and to buy if they think things are going to get better. They don't have that effect if you're in a downward spiral of expectations, which is where we find ourselves now. So this will have no real effect, I think, on the overall economy. Rob, what would you, you know, today is also happens to be Super Tuesday. Let us not forget, you know, mm-hmm. we're getting very close by the end of the day to figuring out who the Democratic nominee for president will be. What should that person's message be about uh, rates and the economy? Well, I think the message is I can bring back stability and security to the U.S. economy. The fact is the administration is very vulnerable on the coronavirus because they cut funding for the CDC, for NIH, for WHO, and they eliminated the pandemic disease task force. Well, that is going to come home to roost if, in fact, this pandemic becomes very serious, which it looks like it may very well be. Peter, what are your thoughts on how this all uh, plays politically? Let, let us not forget an important part of what happens with GDP growth from here, uh, with interest rates, with all the rest of it, is going to be what does this do to guarantee or not the president's reelection in the fall? Well, I mean, historically, we know the, the summer leading into the election, the state of the economy is going to be a huge driver about who's going to get that election uh, victory. What would you say to investors who are just looking? We had a, a discussion earlier about the kind of this reach for safe yield and there being nowhere to go. Yes, you're holding on to capital gains if you're holding bonds. But that doesn't necessarily help people achieve uh, what they're looking for. Do you, does it push everybody into the stock market, into dividend stocks? I mean, the defensive names like Art Hogan was warning off the top. Don't think they're defensive if they're trading in all-time high multiples. Right. It's ex- extraordinarily difficult. The Fed's lift to someone it's an impossible situation on how to safely make money. And being in, in bonds, stocks, gold and silver, and, and very diversified, not just your standard bonds and stocks, but very diversified, I think is the only way getting through this. But it certainly has been made more difficult from an investing standpoint. Rick, what do you think? We're, uh, we we've, we keep fluctuating around here. We've been below 1%, above it, sitting right on it here. 
You know, I guess my biggest issue is, Kelly, you said, you know, maybe we just need more fiscal stimulus. And part of the reason you said it is because of point nine nine nine. And I think that's the biggest problem I see, is that there's some channel for a weaker U.S. post-coronavirus, at least temporarily. But this notion that we need fiscal stimulus because rates are going down, because the rest of the world is forcing an arbitrage that pushes them down, and that really is the biggest factor, doesn't make any sense to me. I think that if a company was a good company and the numbers for the economy were super solid for the last four weeks, that I'm not dismissing that we're going to have a bit of a flush with regard to the domestic and global economy. But after that data comes out in the next six to eight weeks, beyond that, we're going to have really weak comms when we get back to normal. Rick, they guess- should Quit micromanaging the economy, Here's whether only, it's the Fed yeah. or the administration. Go on, go on. Here's my only point, though. It's not, we're not talking about the business cycle. We're talking about, about a hit from a, from a virus, right? My, if I were a business, I wouldn't mind some help to make sure, like, hey, if I can't make my rent payment because I'm a Chinese restaurant and no one's coming, or if I'm a school and I'm not, I don't, I'm not giving people the hours. I mean, what about Greg Ipp's point that Elizabeth Warren's out there talking about, hey, maybe we give people uh, federally paid sick leave, in other words, are there tactical fiscal solutions that could actually help here so we don't avoid a deeper economic hit unnecessarily? Listen, I don't want to sound like a mean-spirited person. When people or businesses need help, for the most part, we have practical, already established ways for them to get it. And the last guest talking about all the things that were cut. You know, just because they name something, uh, you know, the Financial Protection Act, doesn't mean it's really protecting you. So with regard to how the politics messes all this up, at the end of the day, we have put the cart so far in front of the horse, it's going to be meeting us on the backside. Got to bring Peter Bookfar back in here. Peter, we're, we're at 0.989% here. So it's not just the level of yields that's shocking, it's the speed with which we've seen this move today. And all of this happening after the Fed's intermeeting rate cut, I don't think they wanted to see this kind of response. So the, the Fed acknowledged that obviously they can't directly address the impact of the virus. So they gave us two reasons, easing financial conditions, but financial conditions don't ease if market participants aren't willing to take risk. Well, they're tightening right now. The Dow's down 730 exactly. points, and the, t- and the one-year yield just, or 10-year yield just fell more. And their other reason is to engender confidence in households and businesses. Well, instead of engendering confidence, they scared everybody because this was a clear panic move. There's no confidence generated by what the Fed did when they have a meeting two weeks and to cut 50 basis points when you only have six cut rate cuts left to do. This scares everybody. Rob Shapiro, uh, let me bring you back in uh, with some thoughts on what, you know, you, you heard what Rick was saying about your points earlier, but also just again on some of the pragmatic solutions that we might uh, start to hear uh, from. Well, the fact is fiscal stimulus takes about nine to 12 months to work its way through the economy. So while there can be some emergency help for people who are really hurt, uh, this is not going to have a broad economic effect this year. Um, And, you know, we are now coming to regret President Trump's pressure on the Federal Reserve to cut rates three times last year, because the fact is that took up a lot of the room that the Fed had to try to support the economy through interest rate cuts. Um, Although in the end, interest rate cuts have uh, very little effect on as dangerous and widespread a danger as a coronavirus pandemic. 
Yeah, I'm just, uh, again, watching the action on our screens here. Uh, the 10-year yield has, has fallen pretty sharply uh, today, Peter. So for those who think they should chase this move, what do they do? And, and for those who think this is insane and makes no sense, what do you do? And, and is it telling us that a terrible economic event is coming, or is it just an outsized market reaction? Well, there is an hysteria derived from, from this, this virus, of course. And in terms of stimulus and the Fed and everything, the thing that will that will cure this is is getting this virus contained and whether it's during the summer or not or whatever that's the well, answer me, that's go, the stimulus let's go to the wide that's shot needed. for a second everyone's heads were nodding there for one moment okay so that everyone agrees <laughs> you know we actually have to bingo right the one thing that would uh, would cure the markets peter would be and that's why we spoke to regenera on last uh, segment would be to cure coronavirus itself. right that that's the answer all right, we'll leave it there. Gentlemen, thanks uh, to all of you today. Again, with us on a pretty historic yeah. moment there for, the, for rates and for the market. Rob Shapiro, Rick Santelli, Peter Bookvar. And be sure to tune into Squawk Alley tomorrow for a first on CNBC interview with the managing director of the IMF. That'll be at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. We've got a lot more on this historic move in the markets next. Ten-year yield, 0.984. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Exchange. We are at session lows in the stock market right now and all-time lows on the 10-year yield, which just in the last 10 minutes went below 1% for the first time ever. Remember, we had never gone below 1.3% until last week. So a sharp downdraft here after the emergency rate cut by the Fed. The Dow, for its part, is down 787 points right now. That's nearly 3%. The S&P and the Nasdaq are down a similar proportion today. My next guest says small investors could end up well positioned amid this sell-off as we watch the big bank names down about 5% uh, with Bank of America there and Morgan Stanley on its heels. J.P. Morgan City and Goldman all down uh, 3 to 4% right now. But if you can keep your cool, you could be in line to buy some bargains here as institutional investors have bailed out of the market. Let's welcome in Jason Zweig. He's columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Uh, back with me also is Peter Bookvar, Chief Investment Officer at Bleakley Advisory Group. Uh, Jason, it's great to have you here on a day like this. Uh, um, you had been tweeting about some comparisons between now and 2008. There might be some market comparisons. I think there are different economic events, certainly. Um, yeah. what, what's the intelligent investor to do right now? Well, I think we have to wait and let things settle out a little bit, Kelly. I mean, right now it's just kind of chaos out there. And I think, as a lot of your other guests have mentioned, by trying to calm what some people are characterizing as panic, the Fed may have actually created one. And uh, it's at times like these that I think individual investors in particular should sort of wait until the dust settles. What about, Jason, the investors who had that, those traditional bond, you know, stock market portfolio allocations? I mean, does that stuff make sense in a world where the 10 years below 1%? That's a very good question, Kelly. And I think, the, I think there's a long answer, but the short answer is yes. Um, treasuries still maintain a low correlation to equities and we can see that on a day like today when stocks are down huge and investors in treasuries are doing very well in the long run some of that diversification benefit is likely to be mitigated but in the short run which is when people really want to be diversified it tends to work pretty well okay let me also bring in mike santoli mike with your thoughts on the speed of this move lower uh, in the tenure that we've just seen what do you think 
Yeah, it's it's quite remarkable, Kelly. I mean, obviously, I would have said even last week that there was a bit of a buying panic in Treasuries, and and arguably yesterday's equity rally was the market kind of sniffing out that maybe it had finally reached a crescendo. Yields were uh, trying to bottom and actually came back pretty dramatically by the end of the day. Obviously, the message from the Fed, whatever it was intended, uh, in part seems to have been, look, we're on a path maybe back towards zero in the short end uh, of rates, and there's just so little yield left in the world uh, that effectively they took the Fed funds rate, which was one of the highest yields on the planet, from one and a half down to one, and it's almost as if it forced people into the longer end. I don't know if I'm going to ascribe a lot of particular uh, inferences mm -hmm. about what th this means for the economy, except that right now it is hide and wait. And one place, Peter, where it certainly has an effect is on mortgages. And you were saying that people who own mortgage-backed securities, well, now you've got a ton of prepayments that that might have to be replaced with Treasury bonds. You think there could be a mechanical aspect of this downdraft in Treasuries? Here? Right. I think that's helping to exaggerate the higher prices and lower yield in Treasuries. So if I own a mortgage-backed security, I'm assuming that I'm going to be losing mortgages through refinancing. So in order to sustain my duration levels, I'm immediately going out and buying longer-term treasuries to sustain that. So the higher prices go drives more buying, and buying begets buying, and yields going lower begets yields going lower from that technical standpoint. Uh, That's a great point about standpoint. what might be happening kind of behind the scenes here. Jason, we'll give you the parting thought. Then what's your advice to investors? Well, I think people should pretty much stay the course, Kelly. I mean, if, if you have the ability to rebalance, buy a little more of what's gone down, maybe sell a little bit of what's gone up, that's probably prudent. But for most people, just sticking with it is probably the appropriate course of action here. All right. Saying that, as we watch the 10-year note, 10-year uh, yield hit 0.962%. Thank you all. Jason Zweig, Mike Santoli, we'll see you again, sir. Peter Bookvar, thank you for sticking around. And with the Dow down more than 800 points right now, that does it for The Exchange today. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.